When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Brian Hyatt from Rolling Stone, and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. Uh, I have with me today Andy Green from Rolling Stone and Brittany Spanos from Rolling Stone. Hey, guys. Hey. So uh, we're going to start by playing Andy Green's interview with The Edge. You two are going on a Joshua Tree tour for the second time, much like Bruce Springsteen went on a river tour for the second time last year. Uh, And that uh, basically they're going to play the whole album, right, Andy? Yes. Among other things, apparently. Yeah, it'll be like one hour of the Joshua Tree and one hour of non-Joshua Tree. Right. And uh, the it sold like a billion tickets. They're adding dates. It's gone crazy, um, which is funny because they play a lot of the Joshua Tree most nights anyway. Yeah, what's funny <laughs> is basically every tour they've done since the Joshua Tree has been the four big hits off the Joshua Tree. So this is telling the fans, hey, do you you know those songs on Joshua Tree that you that that you only kind of know well we're playing those too <laughs> it, it, it's you know it shows the power of a sort of a branding thing and also just the excitement I guess of a full nostalgia trip but anyway so uh, when you talk to the edge you didn't know much about the tour yeah. before the announcement I right? talked to him in late December like two weeks before the announcement so all I knew at that moment was there was going to be a Joshua Tree tour so I was going in kind of blind Gotcha. So that explains your total cluelessness in the interview that follows. And the first thing is Andy asked the Edge, like, what even is this tour? So let's uh, let's start the interview, and afterwards we'll we'll talk a little bit about this tour and U2's current state. So I was told the basics of this tour, that it's the Joshua Tree. So just sort of give me the background and tell me how it came together. Well, um, you know, we've been... When we came off the last tour, the Innocence and Experience Indoor Tour, we... We headed straight into um, finishing the the second album of that set. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want the first album, Songs of Innocence, and the second, Songs of Experience, which we were pretty much complete with. You know, a couple of weeks of the final touches leading up to um, the end of the year and and the election, and and then suddenly. The world changed, and <laughs> we just went. Hold on a second. Um, we've got to we've got to give ourselves a moment to to think about this record right. and to think about how it relates to what's going on in the world because it's it was written mostly. I mean, 80, some of it was started before 2006, but most of it was written in the early part of 2006. And uh, now, now, as, as I think you'd agree, the world's a different place. I mean, are you, you are talking about Trump, Trump and Brexit? The Trump election and mm-hmm. um, the, the it's like a pendulum has suddenly just taken a huge swing in the other direction. Right. So anyway, we, we then were looking at the, um, the anniversary of the Joshua Tree. And another thing started to dawn on us, which is that Weirdly enough, things have kind of come full circle, if you want. You know, that record was written 
in um, the mid-80s. This was during the Reagan-Thatcher era of, of British and U.S. politics. Um, it was a, a, a period when there was a lot of um, unrest. Um, there were Thatcher was in the throes of trying to put down the miners' strike. Um, there was all kinds of shenanigans going on in um, Central America, um, and and it feels like we're right back there right. in a way that I don't think any of our work has ever come full circle to that extent. So, so it just felt like, wow, this, these songs have a new meaning and new resonance today that they didn't have three years ago, four years ago. And so it was kind of serendipitous, really. It was just a realization that we needed to put the album sort of on ice for a minute just to, just to really think about it. Think right. about it one more time before before putting it out, just to, just to make sure that it really was what we wanted to to say, mm-hmm. and then this commemoration. So we just look, look, let's 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 do both. We can really celebrate this album, which is somewhat you know born again in this, in this context, and we can also really get a chance to think about these songs and make sure that they're exactly what we want to put out. So so the two sort of coincided, and we decided we were going to do some shows and we've never we've we've never given ourselves the opportunity to celebrate our past because we've we've always as a band looked forward mm-hmm. but I think we felt that this was this was a special moment and this is a very special record right and um, so we're happy to to take this this moment huh. to um, regroup and 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 think about an album that's so many years old but still seems relevant. Yeah, so the shows are going to feature the album straight through. Are you going to play it in sequence? I believe we will. And I say I believe we will because that is certainly the working assumption right now. Not yeah. necessarily starting. I mean, the show may not start with track one, side one, where the streets have no name because we feel like maybe we need to, I don't know, um, build up to that moment so we're still in the middle of kind of figuring out exactly how the running order will go but yes we will be playing the the album in sequence and the fans are going to be thrilled because there's songs in there you haven't played live in a while and with Red Hill Mining Town it's a song that you guys have never played that's true that's true and what actually um, I I, I had a, a couple of days um, at the end of a, of, a, of a studio session where I I was listening to that song and working on guitar parts from that song which I hadn't thought about for so many years and um, that in itself as a tune is just right slap bang in some ways with what's what's going on I, mean, the, the, I don't know if you're staying in touch with what's going on in, in the UK but it's suddenly I mean it's not quite as intense but industrial action breaking out all over the UK for the first time in generations it's like it's not exactly the re- the repeat of the winter of discontent but it's it's like um, it is wild that that those issues are coming back it does seem like politics is polarizing right in in so mu- so many parts of the developed world yeah and so to an extent that i find worrying um yeah. i'm sure most people do and and um 
you know those days were were were, were difficult dark times and um personally you know we uh we we really would would hate to see us go back there right and so why do you think that's the one song on the album that you never played live is it difficult to sing or play at all or if you just never got to it I think it was probably one of the songs that, due to tempo mm-hmm. and arrangement, never found a place within the live set. And it's funny, sometimes great songs just, you know, they're not, they're not in a, almost like, the, think of a live set as like an ecosystem. You've got niches to fill. Right. And, you know, the, the ones that are the up-tempo, fast, dramatic songs, you know, those are the ones that are are, are crucial. And then the sort of more uh, medium-tempo songs, no matter how great they are, sometimes they just you just can't find a place for them. So I don't think it was I don't think it was anything more complicated than than that. But right. um, listening back to it, I'm like, wow, this is I'm really I mean, for, actually. You may not know this, but when we had first finished the album, very like within a f- few days of, of of finishing, our within the band Red Hill Mining Town was our leading contender for first single. Wow! And we were um, we went ahead and we made a video for it with Neil Jordan, and we were like pretty confident. And then you know, as the weeks went by and we sort of got back our objectivity. It, views started to change and eventually it became with or without you and, and, right. and uh, indeed I think we were we were correct but but such was the level of enthusiasm about that song uh, and then there's immediately after finishing the record that it was our first single that was people's yeah. mentality that was the one yeah then there's exit and trip through your wires which you haven't played since the 80s and you've done in God's country you've done acoustic a couple times but never full band so those three songs will also be great to hear again yeah, and yeah, I mean, it, it, they're all so diverse, and that's what's interesting about the Joshua Tree is um, it, it was a very broad, you know, cinemascope kind of record. At the time, we were um, thinking about it in cinematic terms. I mean, so much of the photography that goes with the album, the sort of the, the scope was was cinematic, and we for sure. Um, was, was, we were thinking about the songs from a from that standpoint, mm-hmm. and and also the sort of the, the literary um, inspirations and references. Um, in fact, Exit's original um, uh, Exit's original uh, working title was Executioner's Song, um, because we were. We were using a lot of um, of literature as a kind of jumping off point for um, for 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 the the songs in terms of of just just taking our work in a slightly different um, direction. Right. You know, we 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 definitely um, we were falling falling into the arms of America in the sense as a band we you know punk rock was 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 so much about establishing. A unique form of music, not inspired, not not influenced by American music. Um, if you listen to our early records, you know you can hear 
the influence of a lot of German um, contemporary music at the time, and mm-hmm. through, through via UK bands that were listening to the same music. But yeah. the Joshua Tree is the first album we really sort of consciously went, okay, we spent like four albums now thinking about Europe, Ireland, but let's 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 take a look at the roots of this form that we are inevitably part of, and those are all American. Right. So, so we looked at American. We looked at the blues. We looked at a lot of. Uh, we looked at the new journalism. We, I remember we were myself and Bono were reading Flannery O'Connor, so the so the Southern writers, mm-hmm. and you know it was a con- conscious effort to look across the Atlantic and to start to explore America and yeah. um, I mean it's it's a, for 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 someone from Ireland it's it's a vast um, source of ideas and aspirations and inspirations right. for generations you know America's been um, the promised land and and you know we're looking at it in in that regard but also you know what America really was I mean I was reading I was I read Soldat Brothers you know I was reading a, you know the, about the Black Panthers I was kind of we were exploring America from all kinds of angles right so. and at the time this was this was a Reagan moment where in some ways that vision of what America could be was seemed to be um, somewhat under threat Right. Um, you know, the America of Thomas Jefferson, the America of John F. Kennedy, these visionaries who were talking about, you know, the ideals of what America could be. Right. So we were grappling with those big ideas, and now here we are again. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, hey, this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt, and you were just listening to Andy Green interviewing The Edge of U2. Uh, We're going to be back in a minute with more from The Edge. Stick with us. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. We're going to play you more from Andy Green's interview with Edge from U2. Uh, and he, in this part, Andy's going to ask uh, a little bit about what the other songs are on the Joshua Tree tour that are not Joshua Tree, and then kind of probe into the band's future, and then also make some special pleading for some songs that uh, we've long wanted U2 to play on, on tour. So here's more from Andy's interview with The Edge. So the non-Joshua Tree parts of the show, do you know what kind of songs that are going to be featured there? I think, obviously, when whenever we go to do anything live, we are looking to establish a through line, mm-hmm. thematic um, core that we can hold to. And we're we're kind of spoiled and lucky that in the canon there's a lot to to draw from. 
Mm-hmm. Being kind of early, early on in the process, I, I, it's hard for me to say exactly what we will be looking mm-hmm. to, but I, I think it's fair to say that um, all the old songs are going to be considered, and and what we finally end up playing will cohere to whatever that core theme is, mm-hmm. and. Um, I, you know, we're, we're doing shows in America, we're doing shows in Europe, but certainly the American shows, I've no doubt that a lot of it will be, you know, focused on on that mythic America that we we were writing about during the Joshua Tree and, you know, yeah, do you think it's where possible it is, what that, it is. Do you think it's possible that you'll do any B-sides, like Wave of Sorrow or do Luminous Times or something, or... Uh, we've we've done a few B-sides in our in our in our shows prior to now. Um, you know, it's so hard in some ways for a song to make the set because it, it, it's not about you know the quality of the song. It's really about what you have to leave out to make space for it. And right. um, we we're ambitious to the extent that we we always want to cater to our what we would you might call the Uber fans who have been seen multiple shows and they they you know they want to see something novel they've never seen before something obscure and unique and we we know that and we we try as much as we can to make that possible but we are also aware of the fact that the great majority of people at the shows have possibly only ever seen us that that once or a couple of times before and the, you know there's a, a very long list of classic songs that they want to hear and see and right. so it's that balance you know we for sure for our own amusement as well it's often really a lot of fun to to uh, take something from the past that we haven't played so often and, and reinterpret it so no doubt we'll be looking into yeah, that cause I but I wouldn't think I don't think you're, we're going to find like a huge um Emphasis on obscure and right a stadium little heard you two songs. I think there'll be a few that we will for sure. Like I mean, we mentioned Exit Trip to the Wires, yeah. God's Country, and Red Hill Mining Town. I mean, those. I mean, that's four songs that um, you know Red Hill never been played live, right. and the other three are are extremely seldom heard. So, yeah. so there you go. But but maybe who knows? I wouldn't rule out these sides. Yeah, I think the two songs the fans are most dying to hear are Acrobat and Drowning Man. Do you think either of those are at all possible to be finally played? That's very interesting. I didn't know that fans were um, interested in uh, Drowning Man. I mean, Acrobat, for sure, I guess, because it you know, on, it was it was one of those. Um, one of those kind of more dramatic pieces from Action Baby, but um, I—that's th- interesting, and, and I'll take note of that. Yeah. We 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 uh, we always we always want to uh, listen to our fans because, in my experience, music music fans are seldom wrong. You know, right. there's. Um, something to what they say so I will take note of that yeah, and I'm not saying we will definitely do it but sure. um, we're at that wonderful situation where it's, it's, we've got a blank canvas 
Yeah, and I think they miss when you do a song. They miss Numb or Van Diemen's Land because there used to always be a cool edge moment where when you would when you would do a song. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I I do sing a lot, as you know. Um, yeah, sure. Pretty much always backing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Bono's actually the one who's often pushing me to, to take a vocal. And, and you know what, I'm, I'm fine mm-hmm. singing a lead, but I'm also aware of the fact that we have a really good singer in the band. And mm-hmm. sort of like, uh, I'm, I just... I guess it's um, the opportunity just hasn't seemed right for the last few tours. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out either. And you're playing Bonnaroo. I'm sure that's going to be fun. That's a very different kind of thing yeah. for you guys. Yeah, we haven't played um, festivals for a number of years, but we we did a lot of festivals early on, and and I always remember them very fondly for various reasons. Um, there's a kind of gladiatorial aspect to. To, to a festival which was always um, kept you on your toes in a good way but also the um, the opportunity to just rub shoulders with your peers and be yeah. in a backstage situation with other artists and other bands yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the disadvantages of doing your own shows is you tend to just not have those opportunities as often you know and, and I, I think you know, we we formed a lot of friendships early on, playing shows with Simple Minds and Eurythmics and various bands, and um, that was that's an important part of it for me. So I'm I'm looking forward and, to that. And so what kind of and and so like what sort of stage are you going to be using at these stadiums? Will it be like the original tour in '87, or how are you going to stage it? I don't think we want to be too slavish, right? But at the same time, we want to be um, you know, to acknowledge the, the sort of the, the aesthetic ideas that went with the record. So, um, yeah, it's not. I don't think we're going to go overboard in terms of reinventing the wheel, but but we will definitely take those um, those those aesthetic ideas and kind of update them somewhat. Right. I'm uh, yeah. This is this is this is kind of Joshua Tree 2017. It's not Joshua Tree 1986. Right. No, but I'm sure I'm sure the word nostalgia is going to get tossed around around this tour. So how do you feel about that? Well, as I say, yeah. I mean, I think what's important for us is that it's it's not really about nostalgia. There's mm-hmm. an element of nostalgia which we can't avoid, but it's not inspired by, motivated by a, a desire to look backwards. It's almost like this is this album's come full circle. Right. So and do we're you, back there again. And it's kind of got a relevance. Right, yeah, that, I agree. Um, so do you think, aware of. Yeah, so do you think the next record is going to be songs of experience, or is it possible that it will be something else entirely? No, I think it's songs of experience. I mean, okay. it's, when I say it's almost done, you know, we... we um, we definitely want to take this opportunity to, to think about it, make sure it's really what we want to put out, given the changes that have occurred right. in the world. Um, and, and maybe little will change, but we, we absolutely want to take that chance to just reconsider everything and um, 
and who knows okay. we may even write a couple of new songs you know because that's that's the great position we're in we have we've given ourselves a little bit of a breathing space to um for creativity. Yeah, so, so do you, you, you think at the end of the Joshua Tree tour, the Innocence and Experience tour, we'll get revved back up again with that same staging and it'll just be in a new leg of it? Uh, you know, we're, we feel like that tour wasn't, com- wasn't finished. Right. So right now, we'd, we'd love to finish that tour, which is, yeah, I would imagine it's going to be with very similar production components. Huh. But... You know, it, it, it's. I would I would hate to attempt to see too far into the future, and you know, that's the working assumption. But things can change, right. and um, nothing's written in stone um, as yet. But but uh, you know, we we felt like that tour and that that project was not completed. It is still alive in our minds creatively. Right. All right. My final question here before I let you go. Do you have any ideas about how the next album is going to to be released? Because there's so much attention paid to the distribution of the last record. So do you have any thoughts about how the next one, how it might come out? Yeah. Well, well my, my plan is that Bono and I would sneak into everyone's house and put a CD under their pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But uh, unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be getting much support from, right. from the rest of the band. But um, no, I think, again, you know, it's quite interesting the way music distribution and, and, and promotion and marketing has, has, has sort of been thrown into turmoil over the last number of years. And, you know, what seems like the most cutting edge and most innovative idea within like six months is like old hat and you know right. been done it's not it's no longer novel or, or groundbreaking so um, and it's also I'm so aware of the fact that sales of vinyl records are going right. through the roof I right. mean it's just it's sort of really crazy to 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 see that and it, it speaks about so many things to do with Mm-hmm. You know the artifact, the object of a vinyl record, and what that signifies to people versus a digital download, a file. You know, mm-hmm. um, people in the end have an emotional connection with a with a great record and and with the artist. And you know, a digital file. I mean, look, convenience is wonderful. I, I, if I'm being honest, I still have my vinyl collection, but I, I use I use digital files. 90% of the time but I would never give up my vinyl and right. so there's some there's some sort of need for both and um, I, I, I find that somewhat reassuring that in the midst of convenience being king there's still this connection with the artifact and the, the sort of the deep emotional connection that people have with the body of work that is an album so who knows you know, we're we're still trying to figure it out, like everyone else is. Um, what what I find heartwarming is that music seems to be, music culture and music is still at the forefront, and you know, people are enjoying it and and reveling in it and turning to it uh, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see if um, in this new post-truth world whether. Uh, music r- sort of reconnects 
with um, the, the sort of activist uh, protest um, right. s- sort of thread that it had for so many years and seems to have lost recently. You know, I think it's uh, that aspect of music is and always has been, to my mind, a kind of uh, important, crucial part of, of, of what drew me to it and why I think a lot of people are drawn to it. So I, I feel that this is a moment where music might go through a kind of renaissance of, of a kind, and I'm very excited to, to see what you know young kids in their garages across North America and Europe are going to be writing about and releasing it over the next number of years. Yeah. Um, I think it's time to get back to some of that. Right. I guess final, final, final question. Do you think there'll be a Octum Baby tour in 2021? <laughs> <laughs> no plans. Uh-huh. But never say never. All right. <laughs> We just played a bunch of uh, Andy's interview with The Edge from E2, talking about the Joshua Tree tour, not the one from the 80s, but the new one that's happening in May and is hitting stadiums and is like selling out everywhere. It's like beyond selling out. It's like it sells out. They add new dates. Those sell out. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, you 2 are in, in a, a place, a, a unique place in their career. Um, I get uh, I have a distorted picture because I, I I did like our last three cover stories on them for Rolling Stone, so I've spent a lot of time with them. So I, I, I my point of view isn't like the world's point of view, and I also uh, all three of us I think like you too, um, yes. and and that is not uh, you know or love you too, and that is not necessarily the case with um, some music writers and some music fans. There's like a real uh, a real hostility towards them in, in some circles. Um, and Brittany, do you know? Uh, what, how do young people <laughs> see you two right now? I mean, I I think when I kind of learned about you two, I would think I was like around 12 and, you know, Vertigo came out and stuff like that. So I think that people sort of have this idea like when you two was like really cool in the early 2000s, I feel like that was a, a good moment for them, for my generation. Sure. And I feel like the, the whole Apple thing was like a big turn off. And I think it was like sort of this, that I feel like that was the most negative yeah. vibe about you two that I've I've seen in my lifetime but I don't know I think there's kind of a weird idea of the hierarchy of rock and classic rock and the idea of um, the old gatekeepers but I've never I feel like you two kind of goes back and forth on that like on that sort of right idea, well, ideology I feel like because they're in a situation because they never stopped mm-hmm. because they never like settled into being like just that band that made the Joshua Tree and Octung Baby and then disappeared right. because they continue it, they don't get a chance to bask in the sort of um, iconic status that that they should have from that in quite the way they would if they hadn't just kept going exactly um, and, and so they fall between whereas like young people might worship Fleetwood Mac and like or, or think the Stones are cool or whatever mm-hmm. like like there's something about the U two like they're I think it's it's honestly the same thing. I you know it's one of my pet topics, but it's the same thing like with Madonna, where it's like, how dare she like continue on, like just be the thing in the past. And it's like I, I don't find that fair or in, or an interesting, or or like an interesting way of looking at things. But I do think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, 
that said, so they, you know, so they released uh, Songs of Innocence and, and put it on everyone's iPhone and it was very controversial. <laughs> and, you know, from what they told me, the the part they didn't really understand, they wanted to make it available for everyone. They didn't quite get, they say, that it would actually download onto people's phones, which was like a, perhaps a, a step a step too far. It's like, I, I think Bono said, it's like it, they meant to leave the milk on the doorstop, but instead the milk like appeared in the refrigerator. <laughs> so... I, that said, I think everyone was like a little hysterical about that. I think the the, the reactions were like a little over the top. Oh, definitely. But, but yeah, yeah, and I, I think a lot of it seems a little silly now. But um, and then what happened is that tour um, turned out to be quite excellent, and I think a lot of people who wrote really mean things about the album because there was even like, uh, you know, the controversy over the delivery method of the album actually carried into the actual reception of the music mm-hmm. and people were like rather than being like I don't know if I like this album instead they were like this is like dystopian garbage like it's evil and it's like whoa 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 I mean you know and and so then the very same songs delivered live and a, you know in months distance from the whole thing people were like oh I'm kind of liking this so mm-hmm. you two have, have already kind of they kind of already regained equilibrium that said there's tremendous pressure on the next album right Andy Yes, that is Songs of Experience, and they've been talking about this record for about three years now, which is a long time, and they kind of pledged, they pledged a few years ago that they'd never take years and years on an album again, and it happened again. Well, the amazing joke is that, so in, in 2009, right, right, when I did uh, my first YouTube cover yeah. story, Bono uh, it told me about the plans for another album called Songs of Ascent, Right, uh, and that one is now supposed to follow right. songs, songs well, of experience, yeah, which is yeah. They yeah. keep planning a Zeropa like album to the Octoon Baby of the previous album. Yeah, but Zeropa it just kind of works when Octoon Baby is a huge, huge hit, and then you can sort of put out like the like the Amnesiac or something. Yeah, right. Uh, whoa, now you're, you're, yeah, sorry, you're, you're sorry. mixing, I'm gonna, I'm now you mixing got, my, my I, metaphors. I understand. Like, well, in <laughs> other words, like the, the yeah. leftover songs that are like about as good kind of thing. Yeah, yes. Right, right that there's right. not a huge craving for the leftovers of an album that wasn't met with real with real rapture to begin with. So, I mean, the, the other factor with U2 is just in general, this idea of fighting gravity. I think that's how Bono has put it. Like, it's always like, how do you keep a band with all its original members that never broke up, that never paused, how do you keep them kind of like at the level they need to be to be U2? Because U2 cannot diminish, really. A small U2 doesn't really work. Like, you can't you can't have like a U2 playing theaters. It just, it's fundamental. They were a band that were like, were meant to be in arenas from the moment they played clubs. So it's like this thing of like, how do you keep this sort of balloon aloft? And, and they've managed to do it, and now this is like, a different trick, right? I mean, this is yeah. unexpected. I mean, if you think of the Stones 40 years in, they'd been just redoing their past for decades and decades. They lasted about 15 years tops as far as moving forward with new hit songs and everything. So you 2 in a lot of ways has outlived like any rock band's life twice over almost. So have they earned the right to do this tour that looks back at this point, brother? I think they definitely do, especially with the influence that the Joshua Tree has had on rock music from the moment that it was released and huh. um I mean you two in general like you like Andy said like they have always been they've outlived sort of the like what the Stones have done or what these other big rock bands have done and they've always been an arena band so I think that kind of looking back they've they've earned that time but I feel like this will probably be 
a very rare occasion for them to look back, especially with the other albums they have planned. I think you're right. And I I mean, it it would be remiss not to point out that, so Springsteen last year, as we mentioned, uh, did the River Tour. It started out like, hey, maybe I'll do one show for the River. And then it's like, hey, what about maybe a bunch of shows? And (laughs) how about I go all year? And then it turned out to be the highest grossing tour of last year. It beat Beyonce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... It, there is now a precedent yeah. for for that. Well, yeah, and there's no shame in it. And people, largely speaking, they don't go to concerts to hear new songs. People like to hear stuff they know. At some, well, you know, if you see Justin Bieber, but yes, right. But if it, it, for a, for even an, those are songs uh, they know and love. If, yes. they, if, if they've known them for six months, that's a long time when you're 14. You know. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yes, but it, but the, it, for heritage, quote unquote, yeah. heritage acts, they want to see the classic right. stuff, which is very frustrating if you're an artist who wants to keep moving forward. Right. But if you're Fleetwood Mac and you understand that, embrace it. It's very comfortable. Yes. Very easy. One thing that's always struck me about Joshua Tree is it's a very front-loaded album as far as hits, uh, and I now appreciate the the second half or second side a lot. Um, but I will say that when I was a kid, I had it on cassette, <laughs> um, and I. I basically never listened to the second side like ever. I listened to it once. I was like, I don't know, and so I just kept listening to the first side. So to this day, I I, I think there's still like sort of a backlog in my in my uh, right second it's, side appreciation. It's front loaded with hits, as you said, but I think Exit, I think Mudge Disappeared, and God's Country are as strong as the songs on side one. They just aren't as radio friendly, and they weren't pushed to you know as singles. They're almost like the cool B sides as as much as they are the other half of the album, which is weird. Yeah, uh, but there are cool B sides also. Yeah, and, there, and there's even cooler besides. Yeah, we're talking. There's Luminous Times, which has a really, which kind of like totally predicted the sound of the second Arcade Fire album. Right. It's a crazy thing if you listen to yeah, it. Yeah, there's the Birdland. There's a Patti Smith song. I mean that they. But yeah, I mean, in general, where is the political message of, of Joshua Tree, guys? Where do you see it? I I see it as Edge told me as an anti Reagan, anti Thatcher album with with the Riddle Mining Town it was about all the labor that was all the strikes that were going on across England against Thatcher with Bolt the Blue Sky it was against Reagan's foreign policy in right. Central America. And, we, and you were saying uh, in in some random performance not long ago, there's always like a rap kind of in Bolt of the Blue Sky and, and, and yeah. really unleashed against they Trump. They played mm-hmm. a show, Dreamforce, and they played like an hour-long set a few months ago. And during Bolt the Blue Sky, Bono just went off against Trump in a way he hasn't against the sitting president in a long time, because even during the Bush years, he worked with Bush on debt relief. So he was very careful not to be critical. But with Trump, it's a new ballgame now. So I think the bullet rap, as the fans call it, during the show, when they play Blue Sky, be very intense. Yeah. I mean, it also strikes me that just this sort of like spiritual dislocation of this album... Um, which really hits you at the very beginning. Streets have no name. I mean, literally dislocated. The streets have no name. Yeah. I haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm lost. That like that. Yeah. I, I think. You're ready to stand still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm to stand. I think it's going to be incredibly. I'm realizing this now as I say it. I actually think it's going to be incredibly moving. Right. And powerful in the context of like people. I, it's going to be an interesting. Because one of the you two are best when you like really need them it's kind of like yeah. s- s- Springsteen like and in those uh, Brittany you're talking about the All That You Can't Leave Behind era when I saw them in New York after 9-11 and this is like a very famous set of gigs but I mean like it was so intense and so emotional they are capable of this tremendous uplift I would say like almost no other artist who ever you know played rock music and, and so maybe this will be an opportunity to do that yeah I mean I never really thought about the political message of the album until I read Andy's interview and kind of went back to it and it just felt so 
appropriate for the moment, even, you know, so many yeah. decades separated from it. And uh, just felt like, just like really potent and disillusioned and angry and felt really, like you said, like really right for the moment and felt really connected to this and very malleable to what's going on right now. All right. Then it ends with the mothers of the disappeared, mm-hmm. this incredibly sad, mournful song against all the victims of Pinochet's you know, like purges of young people all throughout all throughout Chile. Right. You know, it's a really it's about as sad as the last songs you'd ever get on an album. And yeah, to suggest the 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 power and doom that can be caused by American neglect. Uh, so it, it's all relevant. And I, the other thing is the nostalgia element, because as as hard as things might have seemed in 1986, like people are really scared right now. So I I think just being kind of re-entering the womb of 80s U2 will be right. very comforting and for people. I think the same way that Roger Waters took the wall tour and really used the same exact songs with the video imagery that he put up on the wall made it about the present. Right. I'm sure U2, that the imagery they'll have up and everything will really tie it all home too. I'm sure they're going to spend a long time on each song getting... That's actually a, a great comparison point, which is the... The wall tour showed that you can radically recontextualize the album, and I, it would be interesting for them. To, I wonder how aware they were of the wall tour. They're not huge Floyd fans, um, but that's a, a good example of how you can like. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he recontextualized it to the point where it was like, Roger, does any of this have anything to do yeah, with the album? When like he took like, when he took Mother, yeah. which was about his own mother essentially, and made it about big government. <laughs> yeah, but he pulled it off, which is just he did. It was it was a. a, a a radical kind of thing to do and I think it it, it, it that does open a door uh, for you too that's interesting too um, but so are we going to see more and more of these tours from, from what's left the big bands well, of album we've focus seen tours so many of them yeah. already and most big groups have done this now like there's I think a few exceptions you know Stones haven't really done one yet though they toured for Sticky Fingers but they, they only played it live at the one club show right uh, it's a yeah, it's a guaranteed way to move tickets, and in an era when bands are touring more and more and more, they need a hook for fans to come, and this is seen as the ultimate hook. It's working. That's why Brian Wilson is doing Pet Sounds for like the fifth time right now. <laughs> it sells tickets. When you spoke to Adam Clayton, and and by the yeah. way, Andy's full article on U2's new tour is in the the next issue of Rolling Stone that comes out next week, and that also includes an interview with Adam Clayton and with Willie Williams, their longtime stage designers, but. Adam kind of backed off from playing the whole album, right? I mean, no, sorry, from playing the album in, in order. sequence. Yeah, he was unsure. The, the press release says in sequence, I'm pretty sure. The Edge said in sequence. Adam was like, I don't know about in sequence. We might sprinkle in a few other songs that tie into it. I'm just not sure yet. Yeah. So no matter what, they're playing all of it, probably in sequence. But they haven't rehearsed it yet. They still have like four months. The sort of back and forth that I was having with you 2 for years now when I talk to them is just this idea of some other people at their point in their career like they make albums but they give up on the idea of like listen we're not going to be played on the radio we're, we're guys in yeah. our 50s it's just not going to happen and I was like you know isn't it time is it possible it's time to like not worry about that and just make whatever you want to make and they just basically have been like no <laughs> they yeah. insist on so what I mean what do you think of that is it I think is, is it admirable or, or is it crazy to to still want to be like at least preserve the possibility of like we want an actual hit on top 40 at this point in their career I think it's really admirable and I think that especially with how long of a streak U2 has as, you know, a rock band on radio is incredible. I think that no other band can really match that. They were making hits on 
rock radio on pop radio for decades and it's very that's difficult and I think it's extremely that's what makes it even more admirable is that they want to keep going with that and keep sort of dominating that space which a lot of bands can't really say they can do at this moment Andy I think you disagree ultimately I do to some degree I think it's admirable if it does impact the album I think a song like Get On Your Boots off No Lie on the Horizon was their attempt at a radio hit. Yeah. And I think it's one of the worst songs on the album. And huh. you try... I kind of like it, but it's nutty yeah. and it's jammed together. And nice. even Vertigo was like Elevation. They tried to do it again. And I think they'd be better suited just trying to make a great album and realizing that that no matter what they do, radio is not going to put one of their songs onto the on the pop charts it's not going to happen it's there's no rock band now that can really do that well somewhere there's like a bunch of songs they recorded with red one who was yeah. West Gaga's mm-hmm. producer and mm-hmm. so i'd love to hear like what that and then you know they're always trying to like they're trying to work with like when will i am as the hot producer i mean yeah. it's 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 bold and occasionally it, it, it would pay off i mean is, is wasn't there a rumor about them and they changed smokers did i make that up oh i think that was they talked about like Bono was going to enter some type of recording session with them. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like something that might have happened. So <laughs> yeah, you know. I just think that you know you have to accept at a certain point that your day on the radio is over. You can have a new era of your career where you make great albums, great music, and your fans love it. But there's not going to be uh, a new with or without you. It's just sort of impossible. I would say that I realized that the probably the bigger thing than the radio, and this is from like what Brian Eno told me, is this thing they will leave off great songs from their albums, not because of the radio, but because they need songs that, as I said, for the ecosystem of their live show. Well, that's, so that's very tough. different. That's, but yeah, that 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 is that is that is very different. But that is the problem. So, anyway, so uh, we've been talking about Joshua Tree. We played uh, Andy's interview with the Edge. And uh, this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. Please come back and listen to us at 1 p.m. on volume next week. And check out our downloadable podcast at rollingstone.com slash podcast or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.